I'd like to welcome all of you and welcome our candidates for Nevada City Council. So we have some questions that came in earlier from Nevada County residents, and then we'll also be soliciting cards tonight. If you have questions, write them down on cards. And with the runners, raise your hands, runners. We'll be collecting the cards. And finally, I want to encourage everyone to support the League of Women Voters. You know, we are a nonpartisan group and we encourage everyone to become members. We encourage them also to participate in all of our forums. And we are not having any forums next week, but following that, we will have in the following week. And you can find the list of the forums on our website and on our Facebook page. You can also send questions for upcoming forums to info at lwvwnc.org. So please become a league. Please volunteer. I believe that we perform a very important function in Nevada County, and we'd love to have you participate. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I want to thank the um, league for doing this. It's always a wonderful experience, and it really, I feel like it helps people understand who is actually running for office, so thank you. Um, I've been coming to Nevada City since I was a child. I moved here over 30 years ago with my family, my husband and my two children. Um, the, this is one of the best places to live in the world. And I want to make sure that my kids have the opportunity to raise their families here too if they want to. I've been on council since 2018. I was the mayor during the pandemic, which was quite challenging. I am the only incumbent running and will be the, one of the most experienced with Dwayne Strouser retires from council in June. I've gotten a lot done. It's been a challenging four years, which delayed in, in that with the pandemic, things were delayed that are really important. I've learned a lot. I've developed relationships with everyone at City Hall, with the county, other cities, the state, some of our amazing nonprofits. All of that will make me even more effective in the next four years. The most important thing, I believe personally, for a person on council is to listen to everyone and try to make the best decision for the whole city. Thank you. Mr. Berdinger. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, fellow candidates, members of the press. First off, I'd like to thank the League of Women Voters for hosting this event. I'd like to try something a little different this evening as a former teacher. I want everyone to close their eyes and don't open them till I say so. What's one special quality that you feel a city council member should have? I'll give you once you get an idea what I'm looking for, a good sense of humor. Now put on your thinking caps and come up with some more. Take about five to 10 seconds. Okay, open your eyes. Perhaps you thought of integrity, intelligent, good looking, just kidding, respectful, a good listener, team player. Now whisper your answer to your neighbor. Thank you. As you can see, it takes more than an impressive job history to be a competent city council member. So let me tell you a few things about myself. I've been a Nevada County resident for over 18 years. 
a public school teacher for 24 years, a former restaurant owner and retail manager, local volunteer for Habitat for Humanity, and the founder of HELP, House Empower and Lift People, an organization that supports affordable housing. Some of the goals I'd like to accomplish if elected, I'll work with the community and my fellow council members to come up with the best solution for the courthouse location. I promise to re support responsible fiscal policy. I'll be a listening ear and support member to our business community. And lastly, I want to showcase our town to increase more local and tourist dollars instead of a risky rice gold venture. Thank you. Thank you. And Mr. Sisi, two minutes. Thank you for this opportunity to introduce myself. My name is Lou Sisi. I'm a second generation American. My family knows in its bones what it means to leave everything behind and strike out for a better life. My grandfather, Luigi Sisi, left his little village in Italy to come to America. He knew little English and had not many skills that New York City was really interested in. But after 10 years in the Bronx, Luigi Ceci became Lou Sisi, and he was a rising star in the ranks of the City Parks Department. A generation later, his son, my father, became the first Italian-American appointed to the State Supreme Court of Wisconsin. I never met my grandfather. He died shortly after I was born, but I carry his name and his spirit. Here's what I would bring to the council. I've been a public educator, a software engineer, and a small business owner. I have administrative skills. In Colorado, I started and ran the Speaker's Bureau for the Boulder County AIDS Project, and I was chair of my department at the university. When I was chair, I steered the department through difficult budget crises and cuts to become one of the fastest growing programs in the state. I'm experienced with planning and executing complex projects. As a project leader, I oversaw the design, development, and deployment of complex applications for millions of Skype and T-Mobile customers. In housing, I've been a renter and a landlord and a homeowner. I have built and remodeled homes. I will bring these experiences to bear on the challenges we face. Fire safety and water security, both exacerbated by drought, the dual pressure of supplying adequate housing, and preserving our historical character, and diversifying our economy in difficult and adverse times. Service to community is in my nature. Thank you. Thank you, and Mr. Klein, two minutes. Hey everybody, thanks to the League for hosting this, this is great. I'm Adam Klein, I grew up here, my folks moved here when I was two years old. I am the proud product of Nevada County Schools. And uh, I've lived my whole life here. I've rented apartments while saving to buy a home here. I was lucky enough to do that when that was still plausible. Uh, I owned a business on Commercial Street downtown, which was challenging and an experience I wouldn't trade for anything. I'm running right now at this time because I'm seeing friends who contribute so much to this area who feel like they're being squeezed out. They can't afford a home and there's no places to rent within their budget. And I'm watching the character of the town slip away because we're losing these people. What is Nevada City if artists can't afford to live here? It's not a Nevada City I would recognize. That's why I'm running. When I see the empty storefronts downtown, as someone who had a business downtown, it breaks my heart, I take it personally. 
it's not just about filling those spaces, but it's about filling those spaces with businesses and restaurants that will make our town as vital as it has been in the past and as it hopefully can be again. Uh, that's where I'm coming from. Those are my priorities. Uh, I have a great relationship with everyone currently on the council, and I look forward to working with them if I'm lucky enough to be elected on these and other challenges. Thanks. Thank you very much. So we'll start with the first question from the public. And, and if you know me, this is one that you could expect is near and dear to my heart. So starting with Mr. Merdinger, um, do you think the courthouse should remain downtown and why? If yes, what are you actively doing to keep it there? And what should the city be doing to ensure it stays? Okay, my feeling on that is my heart tells me I would love to keep it in downtown, obviously because the businesses, that's can, where they are. Can I are. suggest you move a little closer to the microphone? Okay, my heart tells me yes, I'd like to keep it downtown. But I think we need to look at all options. I mean, basically, we have either you tear down what you have, you rebuild, or you remodel. Of course, remodeling costs could be very expensive, building it up to code. Um, another option maybe is a hybrid model where you can use both, both locations. But I think we need to explore all options because it has to fit within the budget, and that's really critical. So um, what would I do to push it? Obviously, I would go to people, pound the pavement, go to people and ask them, what do you want? Because it's really, it's the people in Nevada County that really are going to have to have input to let us know what we need to do with this uh, situation. Thank you. Okay. Mr. Cece, a minute and a half. The courthouse is more than a building. It's also a symbol of our commitment to justice and equity in our town. It, it rises above the freeway uh, like a, a shining beacon. To lose it or to hollow it out would be a disaster, not just economically, but also to the spirit of the town. So what can we do? To some extent, the decision is out of our hands. The State Judicial Council is going to make the decision, but we can pressure them. We can flood them with letters and email. We can do what we've done with putting up signs saying, save the courthouse, keep our courthouse downtown. And we can do what I'm doing, which is writing about it on my blog or writing it on, in social media. In other words, make sure that the Judicial Council knows this is a very unpopular move with the people in this community. And I think people power is much more expressive and powerful when the people actually act. Thank you. Mr. Klein, a minute and a half. I had some experience serving on a jury not too long ago, and I can vouch for the idea that the courthouse being where it is brings a lot of money to downtown. I had extended lunch breaks that I spent at Ike's in the New Moon, and lucky me. And uh, visitors to town coming to the courthouse for court business, I'm sure, visited our shops. So the town... As Lou said, the town's got to do everything it can to keep it here. And as he also said, it's, it's up to the state. So I think sending letters, doing everything we can to express that we want to keep it here is good and it's a start. But beyond that, we also need to plan ahead in case they take it out of our hands because we've got to have a plan B in place because we can't have another ghost building in our town, especially that one, a building I think all of us cherish. Thank you. Ms. Minette. 
Well, they're all right, every one of them. <laughs> um, you know, Nevada City is the county seat, and that um, the courthouse, losing the courthouse is going to be devastating to downtown Nevada City. During the week, you know, it brings people to town. Um, we're not going to become a ghost town if they move it up to Coyote Street, which is a possibility. That is plan B. But again, we don't have a lot to say about it. We have people that have been working on this for years. Uh, there's a committee that goes down to San Francisco. They're dealing with it. We're just about to get our grading, so we'll know where we are and where we stand. But what was said, write letters. Let the state know, because the state owns it. It's their decision. I can't think of anything sadder than seeing that building be empty or it come down and rebuilt. Um, I understand the front is just a facade, but we've, it's beautiful, and it's part of our... It's part of who we are. So thank you. Thank you. So now we'll go to the first media question. And Mr. Roland from the union, what do you have for Mr. Cece as the first responder? I believe? <coughs> Good evening, uh, Mr. Cece, William Roller of the uh, union. I'd uh, like to begin with um, uh, the um, uh, particular issue of um, uh, the uh, closure of um, Commercial Street uh, that was originally done. I believe it was um, uh, summer of 2020. I had not arrived in the county yet, but I believe it was done principally to try and um, provide a mechanism for uh, restaurants to uh, have outdoor dining and uh, would help uh, them uh, during the uh, early stages of the pandemic to recover lost revenue. I'm wanting to know, um, with uh, the uh, planned reopening of traffic to Commercial Street, um, do you think there would still be an uh, opportunity to retain um, uh, Commercial Street as a viable um, downtown um, business area that can help uh, other impacted um, businesses that are not restaurants, and what could you recommend for that, those businesses, uh, such as um, retail or um, uh, any kind of services down there or uh, bookstores and, and the like? What would you recommend? Commercial Street is iconic. Um, when you think of the motherlode architecture of our town, that really is represented well on Commercial Street. Um, the storefronts, um, the narrowness of the street, it all bespeaks of our historic origins as a mining town. However, we have to recognize the fact that we no longer live in an era in which uh, horses and carriages go up and down Commercial Street. It was already getting too narrow for two-way traffic if you're both driving F-250s, you know. Um, so narrowing it down to a one lane and one way, I think, was a practical idea, a recognition that times have changed a little bit. But keeping the look of that street as much as possible um, as it is, I think was a great idea. And if you looked at it recently, um, the granite curbs are very fitting. They look right in the era. The sidewalks are a little larger. You don't have to step into the gutter as you pass people by. Uh, and there's still time enough, and there's still room enough there for traffic to go. So I think it's a good move for the city recognition of our changing times, and it's a good move for the businesses on Commercial Street. 
Thank you. Mr. Klein, a minute and a half. Commercial Street is near and dear to me. I lived on that street longer than any other street in my whole life, and I'm 44 years old. So um, I'll tell you what, having owned a business on Commercial Street, I think the wider sidewalks are going to be great for getting people there, getting people gathering there, and I think that's going to be awesome for businesses. I wish we'd had that when I was there. I'm thrilled with the decision. It all looks like it's going to be beautiful, and uh, I think it's only good. Thank you. Ms. Manette. I am so proud of where, where the council came with Commercial Street. And this goes back to what I said about listening to the community. Um, and it was very down the middle about even going to a one-way street. Um, what we heard was people wanting more community in Nevada City. And with this design of the sidewalks being 10 feet on each side, the restaurants can put out little tables. It gives a little more room, and people can still walk by. Um, what I would like to see happen, and I said this when we were doing the design, we're putting in bullards um, because a lot of people wanted um, Commercial Street completely shut down 24-7. Um, that doesn't work. We're a very small city. So having it open during the week, my suggestion would and still is to close it down at 5 o'clock on Friday, open it up again at 5 o'clock on Sunday. So everybody has a sense of a walking street, community street, and during the week it is open for business. Thank, Thank you. you. Mr. Murdinger. I agree with the, uh, my fellow candidates. I think it's a great addition to our town. My wife and I took a walk the other day. I just I liked seeing what's happening in town. So it's just wonderful being a five-minute walk away. And we walk downtown and just seeing how it's being transformed. Um, you know, the wider sidewalk, the one-way street. Um, hopefully they can incorporate some kind of seating area. That would be nice. Um, maybe, I don't know, cobblestones or something if, in the future or something to make it look really kind of like this is a place for people to walk. I've been in Europe where they have places where people can just walk down the street, no vehicles at all. Obviously, we can't do that here because Nevada City is small. We, we have to have other areas for people to, to navigate with their vehicles. So I agree, Aaron, that's a good idea. Close it down maybe for part of the day. That might be a great idea. But I would like to see more of these kinds of um, infrastructure improvements in town, um, provided the budget can handle it. Thank you. So we go to another question from the public, and I'm going to stick with the building topic overall for a moment. Um, let me see if I can find the question now. Ah, the Alpha building has been sitting empty for many years. What uses do you think are appropriate, and what would you do to facilitate the utilization of this key property? And that goes first to Mr. Klein for a minute and a half. Holy smokes. <laughs> now, this isn't, this isn't something where any one of us is going to have the one great idea because a lot of smart people have been grappling with this for over a decade. But I think the key thing that the city's got to do is the most important part of communication, and that's listening. The community has to be involved in this decision, has to be behind this decision, or else it's just not going to work. The way we all got behind the national, and it's a masterpiece. That's how this is going to have to go and we're gonna to have to find private investment, we're gonna maybe have to get some grants. It's going to be costly and it's gonna be worth it. Um, and as far as what I'd like to see in it, 
I've heard so many great ideas from artists, studios and residences to upscale restaurant to uh, a series of shops, uh, stalls, if you will, where people rent space, artists could sell their wares there. There is so much potential in that building. And I really would like to see that fulfilled in the next four years because it's been empty too long. And it's the first thing people see when they enter downtown if they're not looking at the National, which they should. <laughs> Thank you. Ms. Minette. That building is falling apart. You know, it's so sad. It's really beautiful. Um, we got to remember it's privately owned. We, the city, do not own the Alpha building. So, and we don't build. We sit behind a desk like this and vote on decisions. But Adam did say, you know, we can talk, in which we have been. We can look to find incentives to get the owners to sell or develop. And I think they would like to sell. They just haven't found the right buyer. Um, I would like to see something happen before it falls down. I mean, we're going to lose it if something doesn't happen. Um, again, as a council person, four years ago, I would have said, yeah, let's do that. Let's get that happening. That's just not the way it works. Um, I wish it was, but we go in, we talk, we encourage, and then, you know, somebody will buy it. They'll come to the planning commission and all, it's a process. So I can say what I wish. I wish that someone would buy it and restore it. Thank you. Mr. Murdoch. I, I agree a lot with, uh, with the two candidates here. Adam, you're right. That is a tough nut to crack, trying to figure out what to do with that building. Um, the city can't take on a responsibility like that. It's not in their budget. Maybe possibly, like, if we want to do it like a year-round market. Um, I remember when I uh, lived in Santa Barbara, they had something like that on in the main street where people just walk in and local vendors were showing their wares. They had small little restaurants. Um, you could have a lot of diverse cuisine in that kind of atmosphere. Um, it was just really wonderful, especially during weather. And that would take a lot of the, the burden off a lot of the, the local vendors because that will have a place, they could have a place year round. How would that happen? I don't know, joint venture. Maybe like you said, Aaron, incentives from the, from the city saying, you know, this is what we can do, but we want to make this happen. Or, like I said, find somebody else that wants to do something with it. But we really can't let that building just sit there. When I come up and I drive through and I see that empty building, I just, every time I tell my wife, I just say, they've got to do something with it. Thank you. Mr. Cece. It is such a heartbreaking thing to see such a beautiful resource slowly crumbling into the dust. Have you looked in the windows? The woodwork there is fascinating. I am a theater major. That's what I got my PhD in. I looked in there and said, ooh, three-quarter round theater. But it's not something, as Aaron said, that the city can do by itself. It has to be a partnership. We have to do encouraging acts. So we have to perhaps assist them with uh, a grant to um, fund it. Um, I like the ideas of multiple uses of the space. Perhaps it could be small boutique sh shops in the uh, day and then the evening, a performance space. Uh, but it, it's sitting there empty is, is kind of like egg on the face. It's a, it's a blot on the escutcheon of our city. And yeah, we need to do something. Thank you. 
So we'll take a second question from the press with uh, Pascal Fussholder from Nubinet. Good evening, candidates. So you just all spoke very eloquently about your ideas, what to do with private property. Great. So now here's a question for you, what to do with the public property. Have you ever even looked at Sugarloaf? Have you seen the beaten kennel? So what are your ideas to actually, which is Sugarloaf, for those who don't know, is city-owned. The city is proud to owning it. It is also a symbol of the entrance of Nevada City, just like the courthouse. And yet, bark beetle kills is getting rid of the pine trees, which causes fire danger, not just for the property, but also for Nevada City. So let's talk a little bit about fire safety. What are your plans? First answer goes to Aaron Manette. So many plans. <laughs> um, actually, one of my biggest issues since I came on council is fire. And I started the fire advisory committee. It is on our list of how we deal with this and how we, the committee comes and directs council. These are huge problems. They're financial problems also. Right now, we have removed so many trees from Sugarloaf because of dead trees and doesn't look that great right now. But on the other hand, it's better to remove them because the fire danger was huge. Um, the hugest risk to Nevada City is fire. It's, and you know, everybody loves our historic city, but honestly, a fire comes through here, it's not gonna be historic anymore. You can't rebuild the city. So there are things that we are doing. We need to do more, oh, so much more. The one thing I know that having a new city manager who knows what they're doing is that we are going to get things done. Thank you, Mr. Berninger. Fire safety. Everybody remembers what happened with Paradise. We definitely don't want that to happen here in Nevada City. We'd never, it would never come back, absolutely. It would just, it would take so many years that it would just devastate the community, devastate people. I've talked with people that had homes in Paradise and um, they are not coming back. And we definitely don't want that, something like that to happen in our county. Um, fire safety, yes. We, when I lived up at Cascade Shores, we had a fire wise committee where people get involved, they help each other, they help the neighbors. You go door to door, you tell your neighbors like, hey, what can I do to help you with your property? We need to make properties fire safe. I always tell, my wife would always say, Ken, get out there, you gotta limb up. And that was like, her slogan is like, limb up so that we have, so that everything stays safe. And build your safe distance from your home so that it's not endangered by any fire at any time. Um, we need to get people involved. We need to um, go out, like I said, it's meet with people and talk about how we can help them and where they can call people and say, where can I do to get this help? What can I do to cut this street out? They can't afford it. We don't want the town to burn because somebody couldn't take care of cleaning up their property. Thank you. Mr. Cece. Fire is an existential threat to our town. Like everyone has said, we've seen what happened in Paradise and Greenville. We don't want Nevada City to be next. Um, for the past four years, 
Um, fire preparedness has been done and carried out pretty much by the local FireWise communities, and kudos to them, they're doing a great job. But we need a community wildfire protection plan. We need published and practiced evacuation routes. And we need to recognize that much of the city is built into and around forested land. We can clear all the underbrush we want. We can cut down the vegetation. But if the trees go, the town goes too. So what can we do? We can hire a city grant writer so that we can get money to finish that comprehensive wild, the community wildfire protection plan. We can make sure we don't lose out to other funding opportunities. We can continue to support the FireWise communities, and we must work with county and other agencies to obtain and uh, fund other projects. Finally, we need to publish that evacuation plan. I know we have one, but why don't we know about it? We have it, we should use it. The city has relied too much on volunteer efforts. We need to really step up as a council and take the lead in this problem. The city needs to fight for its survival. Thank you, Mr. Klein. I lived on Commercial Street when Friar Tucks burned and my roommate woke me up and we went out on the balcony and watched it and that was the first time I realized how vulnerable downtown is. And that's without trees everywhere, that's downtown. And it could have all gone. And we've had some other scares since then. To the Sugarloaf question, it would break my heart. That's my favorite view of the city. I went up there for my birthday this year. And it's, that's public property, as you said. That's the city's responsibility. All of these shards that the city owns where there was storm damage and there's downed limbs, which is at this point is basically fuel, we've got to take care of. And I know the budget is tight, but I also am heartened to know the new city manager has plans to bring in a little more money, and I think that fire is where that should go first and foremost. We need to clean up our property and we need to work with the community to clean up publicly owned property because I can't see this place burn. None of us can. Um, that's priority one. Thanks. Thank you. Now another question from the audience, and uh, this is going to be a finance question, and it goes first to Mr. Merdinger. Is Nevada City solvent when expenses are in excess of income? That's a good question. <laughs> um, I don't purport to say that I know everything about governmental policies, okay, until you get into the actual doing of it then you learn. But I'll tell you one thing as a teacher, is that I am OCD in that area, and I do my homework, because I've graded enough homework over the years. Um, what I don't know, I find out. And I have self-published 12 books on Amazon, and I have the stamina and the perseverance to do what is necessary to figure out any kind of a budget crisis. And whatever, if, if it's something Nevada City needs, if we need to be able to do something, I'm going to figure it out because I'm a problem solver. I'm a divergent thinker. And I'm a good listener. And so I'm going to come up with a solution, whatever it takes. Thank you. Mr. Sisi. I'll admit it. I'm a fiscal conservative. I don't think we should start a program unless we have a clear objective of how it's going to be completed 
and that it's clearly financed, and we know when it begins and when it ends, whether or not we've achieved our goals. I frankly don't know if the city is solvent. I haven't looked at the books. I have talked to people who did look at the books a few years ago and say, it's kind of hard to tell. Fortunately, we had an interim manager who put that all to right, and we now have a full-time city manager, and that's looking much better. We will have a much clearer idea of how we can move forward in the future if we know where we are financially right now. One of the biggest sources of income for our city is our sales tax. So one of the things we can do to improve our solvency is to assist our businesses, and not just in historic downtown, but in Seven Hills and in the Gold Flats industrial area as well. These are areas that we can boost, and by boosting them, we'll increase our revenue. Thank you. Mr. Klein. I looked at the budget, and to me, it looked like we have a balanced budget, and I think that's, we should keep that. I think that's a good thing. I'm in favor. Um, and uh, as I said, the new city manager has ideas in mind to bring in some more money so we can do more things, as I said, hopefully fire. Uh, I know that during the last two years, uh, Elevation, SPD, Robinsons, the sales tax from those businesses kept us going. And thank God for it. Uh, as we hopefully get out of this time, uh, downtown businesses will thrive again. The other Seven Hills businesses will thrive, and sales tax will be at pre-pandemic levels. Um, but as I said, to my knowledge, the, the budget is balanced, and I think we'll probably get a definitive answer from the uh, sitting councilwoman right now. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, the, we are solvent, and actually, we're doing much. We came through this pandemic um, amazingly well. And I have to say, what literally got us through was me pushing through um, recreational marijuana because we had a dispensary that was only doing medical. And I know people got upset with me that you know crime and horrible things were gonna happen. But nope, didn't happen. And it actually saved us during the pandemic. So I am so grateful to that piece. Um, we actually are doing better than once the budget actually was gone over and we had people who knew what they were doing, yes, our budget, we're doing much better than any of us thought we were doing. So, um, you know, I think we can do better. I think we need to hire a grant writer um, permanently to help us. One of the things in Nevada City, the reason we lose grant money is because we are so small. So it'll go to a bigger city. So these are things we need to work with the county, work with Grass Valley, and combine our efforts. Thank you. Now we get another question from the press that will go to Mr. Cece for the first answer, and that goes to Chris Gilbert from KNCO. Thank you. Uh, good evening, candidates. Uh, just what level of housing growth do you support for Nevada City? We have a housing element, and it's an up-to-date housing element, and it is, uh, has set for us our reasonable goals. We have our fair share of affordable housing. We are ahead of most other cities and counties in the state in supplying low and very low income housing. Cashins Field did that. We have the opportunity to grow further with our moderate income housing. Um, the council considered a proposal for 44 units called the Grove. Unfortunately, the council approved a affordable by design 
a slogan which is just pretty words without you know, real formal ways to enforce that, the city said, that's not really affordable. I mean, the, the state said, that's not really affordable. So those units were never certified and they still haven't been built. So we're behind on moderate housing. I think if we stick with the plan that we developed, we can get our city to grow in a reasonable and orderly way that doesn't exceed our own capacities for water, sewer, parking, and traffic. Stick to the plan that we developed as opposed to one imposed on us by developers or the state. Thank you. Mr. Klein. I diverge a little bit here. Um, as I said, I've seen friends who have given their lives to this place and love this place feeling squeezed out. I'll tell you this, knocking on doors for this campaign, I have found there are so many empty houses. I'm not talking about Airbnbs, vacation rentals, just straight up empty houses. People own them and aren't here. I don't know where they are. I'd love to find out and talk to them because uh, we're having a housing crisis. Uh, how many people are upset when restaurants they like or SPD is closed because they don't have enough people who are able to work? That's, that's a housing problem, that's a workforce problem. People want to work, but if they can't afford to live here, they're not gonna work. This can't just be a fun vacation spot for wealthy people to come visit their third home every now and again. We have real people living here, people who wanna work, raise their kids here, who are getting squeezed out. So we need small, some smaller houses built, starter homes for individuals, young families, uh, and I think the cottage ordinance is great for those who can afford it to build multiple small houses on one lot. That's great. Um, apartments, European style, retail on the bottom, apartments up top, like I lived in in Commercial Street, that sort of thing. It's not one size fits all where we all need four bedroom houses and everything. I think variety is how we're gonna get out of this and we need to encourage that kind of growth. Thanks. Thank you, Ms. Manette. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, housing is a huge problem. And um, I've been here 30 years and I've seen very little be built. I'm actually really excited about cash and fields. I'm really excited that we supported that going through. I would like to see other projects happen. We have literally had people set up a system that nothing has got, gotten built. It's like, oh yeah, we have the numbers, we've approved it, we're fine on the books, but nothing has been built. We are not contractors on council, but we need to change the ordinances so more affordable workforce housing is built in Nevada City, and we have the ground to do it. The Seven Hills District, and I'm not talking about the historic downtown, I'm talking, we have, Seven Hills has land where things could be built. Um, just what Mr. Klein said about doing retail on the bottom and apartments above. Uh, that's what Nevada City is, and I'd like to support it and see more of it happen. Nevada City owns property that we could lease out for 100 years and get something built like that. I want to improve Seven Hills District a lot. Thank you. And Mr. Murray. Affordable housing, that's a passion of mine. As the founder of HELP, house empower and lift people. Um, I have a plan that I've been working on for three years. A micro village with cottages going from 300 to 800 square feet. Uh, before the interest rate went up and the cost of materials, I had the, the smallest uh, home priced at 149,000. And you imagine that. And 
two husband and wife working a minimum wage job can afford that. And I think that's what this town needs. We can't, I, I love the Cashinsfield development. I think it's great, 51 units, but it's rental. We need affordable for sale housing and we have to have it if we really want to attract the people that we really want to come, the young families, they're not going to come. Loma Rica, starting price, 400K, but the average home is really going to be five to six. And all those other developments, it's just too expensive. So what we need is we need joint ventures. Think of the Brunswick Commons project on Tunnel Road between Hospitality House and the county. They bought that land. They worked with Hospitality House. They got it through tax credits and a state and federal grant. We can do that here. We just have to have the dream, we have to have the passion, and we can't stop until we do it. Thank you. And Mr. Sisi, I believe you requested a one-minute rebuttal. Yes, this will be brief. I think we have to back away from the simple notion that more housing will be affordable housing. The housing pressure in California is great. We build more houses, they'll be bought by people who can afford them, and the prices will go up. So we have to have a policy in place to make sure that every affordable housing project approved remains affordable in the long term. And I agree that Cashins Field, the numbers are great, but I don't think it fits with the neighborhood. I think the, the city council had the opportunity to it, um, change the look of that place, but they did not. So I think that's something we should look at and change. Thank you. Ms. Minette, one minute for rebuttal. Can I just say that, first of all, Cashinfield isn't done, so how it's going to look, give it a chance. <laughs> I think it's actually going to look very, it's going to look wonderful, and it actually does fit exactly where it is. Um, and I'd like to see other developments that fit right into the neighborhoods, and it may be not what we have like Cashinfield, but we can do better. We should do better. Mr. Merdinger. Um, when I was looking around Nevada City and I was thinking, you know, what could my, how my plan could be adapted, and I saw the Nevada City co-housing, and my, basically my idea of a microvillage is really pretty similar to what they're doing there. It's a community. They've got a pool. They've got a garden. They've got where people can go and congregate. It's just that mine would be with much smaller units, and, and obviously, it would only be like eight to ten houses per, I mean per um, per acre. So that's really critical. Is the high density? I know that the Cashins Field. It looks tight. You're right, Aaron. It does look like there's not a lot of space other than just finding, getting through that door, getting into your apartment. But let's give it a chance. Let's see what it looks like. So let's take a question for the pub from the public that digs a little deeper into part of that last question, uh, and starting with Adam Klein. Many residents have expressed surprise and disappointment when they discovered that even if they qualify for Cashins Field housing project, no priority will be given to Nevada City or Nevada County residents. Do you think the city should take more responsibility for transparency regarding the beneficiaries of such projects? That's not something I've uh, heard about or looked into. I'm not going to try to pretend I know something I don't. I think that's a shame if true. Uh, I think locals should be prioritized because, like I said, we're losing people, and the people here are what give this place its charm, character, and uh, frequent uh, amazingness. Um, yeah, I have nothing more to add to that. Thank you. 
Ms. Manette. As far as I know, legally, there's no legal precedence for us to be able to say, oh, Nevada City people first. And I'm not sure what that means. If you're living in Nevada City already, do you need to rent some, you know, it's like, are people coming in? I don't have an answer to that. Um, everything, because it came up, I've been asked, I've looked, I could not find a straight answer and, um, to that. So people can apply to rent. Um, I don't think they can say, oh, you're from Marysville, we're not going to rent to you. I, I don't think you can legally do that. Thank you. Mr. Murninger. Yes, that's, that's a tough question. Um, obviously, you can't, you know, discriminate against, you know, certain people saying, you know, we're only going to rent it to these people. Um, I think it's important that we do some kind of uh, prioritizing. You know, obviously, I think that the people living in this county should have first choice rather than the people that are coming from other cities. You're right, um, Adam, we certainly don't want to start depriving the people that are already living here and have jobs. We want to make sure that they have a proper place to live and rent. And somehow, we have to work that into the equation, because you're right, it just wouldn't be fair. Mr. Sisi? We are in a bit of a legal bind. Um, you're all familiar with the term redlining. Well, redlining is done by exactly this means, by figuring out where you're from and whether or not we want you to move into the neighborhood. We can't go back to that. But we can be more transparent about what a project is for and who would be eligible. There is a website where you can see what the criteria are for applying, and I urge anyone who's interested in that to go to that website and see what the criteria are, what your income level is, and uh, what percentage of the minimum, uh, I think it's minimum income, yeah. that you have to be in order to apply. Encourage that, publicize it, get as many people to apply as possible, but do not redline. Thank you. And uh, Mr. Rowland from the Union gets his second question of the night. It goes to Aaron Manette as the first responder. <laughs> okay. Um, good evening, uh, Councilwoman Manette. I wanted to ask, um, and it's already uh, been um, hinted at with the previous question regarding the courthouse, but um, how could Nevada City provide more parking for its downtown residents, visitors, shopkeepers? And is a parking deck out of the question? And I want to uh, put one more caveat on that uh, particular question. Can you actually provide increased parking without um, uh, uh, destroying the unique character of the city and its, its historic preservation? Can both be done? I'm not sure. Honestly, I don't know. Um, we did have a design um, put together before the pandemic for a um, parking structure behind the National down, and it's on city property. Um, they have been, with the courthouse, parking is definitely an issue of whether the courthouse stays in Nevada City. And they had to come up with a certain number of um, parking spaces. And they have. You know, so it, that will, that particular thing will go in to the decision of where they, they keep the um, courthouse where it is. Um, I think 
you know, how can we make parking better? I think if you increase housing in certain areas and build up and have people actually living in town, then they don't have to park. Um, that's the way to decrease parking, get people to start walking to town. Um, you know, there are other ways of doing this. Get an electric bike. So, thank you. Thank you. Mr. Murdoch. Parking, very tough problem. You know, if this were Sacramento, it's so easy. Just do a garage, make it 10, 10 stories high. But we don't have that option here. Um, I'm always on the lookout for possibilities. And there actually is a vacant property, the end of uh, East Broad and 49, and property similar to that, vacant lots. That property is going to have a tough time selling anyway. Who's going to build a home right next to the freeway? I'm not. And I don't think anybody out there is going to do it either. That'd be, I'm not saying that that is the spot for a parking lot, but options like that, I think that's the kind of a thing that, that, that catches my eye. And that could easily be turned into, some, you know, into a parking lot. Distance-wise, my wife said, yeah, it's a little bit of a distance to walk. But, you know, there's shuttles. There are all kinds of possibilities. So maybe if we have to do parking in a location that's a little further away, then we have a shuttle option available. Um, that's something that I would work really hard to figure out because that is a dilemma that Nevada City faces is what to do with parking. Yeah. Thank you. Mr. Cece. The question from the union was, can we do both? Can we have a historic a downtown and still have parking? And the answer is yes, because we've done it. We've done it with Commercial Street. We've seen that we can preserve our historic look and still accommodate different pat traffic patterns and different uses for our existing facilities. I think the parking garage uh, and the lot behind the National would be a great idea and we should pursue and continue to develop those ideas. Um, these, the shuttle that um, Mr. Merdiger suggested, we do that during our street fairs. Why not make that all the time? Of course, then we have to have a place for people to park, but we can push it away from the residential areas. I know one of the fears I heard as I walked down Winter Street were the people there in that beautiful little street saying, my God, they're going to save the courthouse by putting a parking garage right on top of us. No, that's not how we're going to solve that problem because we need to preserve that street. But the city can do it because the city has done it. We are a can-do community and we can solve this problem. And finally, I would like it when we build that parking structure to have some EV charging stations more and more people are going to be using electric vehicles. It would be good to accommodate them. And if we do have more low and moderate income people living in the town, low income people usually work two jobs. That's not one car, that's usually two cars. So we need to accommodate them as well, not just our visitors, our residents. Thank you. Mr. Klein. We've got a fair amount of parking lots around town. Um, which aren't, you know, super attractive, and we could beautify those by making them beautiful, multi-level parking structures. I'm not talking about a 10-story garage, but we could, you know, double the amount of cars and have it look nice. If you've been to Napa, you've seen a good-looking parking structure. My three favorite words. Um, and beyond that, I fully agree that our town needs to be as walkable as possible. When locals are driving downtown to go to work, when they could be having a nice walk, like I used to do, um, I had a roughly eight second commute when I lived and worked on Commercial Street, and uh, it was the best part of my day. Um, 
that should be encouraged as much as possible. Uh, walkability is so crucial and reduce the number of cars going into town and suddenly parking's not that big a problem. Build attractive structures, make it more walkable. There you go, thanks. Thank you. So I have a question from the audience for Mr. Merdinger as the first responder. Would you be willing to ask the community to tax themselves for fire safety? <laughs> it's a good thing I didn't have the mic on for that one. That's a loaded question. Um, people hate taxes. I'm on a fixed budget. I'm retired. Um, I don't have Social Security, but I have a teacher's pension. And, and I know a lot of other people, it's tough to say, you know what, tax these people. But maybe you could do it on a sliding scale. You know, obviously, some people um, are able to handle a cost like that, and others aren't. So again, you know, you fill out an application, and then people decide based on your income um, what they can do for you. Because you're right, that's really, really important. Money should never be a problem when it comes to safety. Thank you. Mr. Cece. As I mentioned before, I'm a fiscal conservative. But I would say, yes, a sliver of a tax for our fire safety will be well worth it if we have clear objectives on how that money will be used and if there is a time limit on it. It's not in perpetuity. It's something to get something started and get uh, projects done, measurable projects. So although I am loath to say the word tax to a, a constituency or an electing uh, a body, um, we may need that. I think we should try other routes first, things like grants and a more efficient use of our current uh, city resources. Thank you. Mr. Klein. I think communication is key. I think anytime water rates go up and the people paying those don't understand why anger rises up. So if the city government determines we absolutely need to raise more money than we can from grants or from the state, for fire safety, they need to bring the people in and say exactly why. What, here's what we're going to do with this. This is why it is crucial. Um, the people need to be on board and asking them for money, they're going to need to be way on board. Sliding scale is smart. There are people of means who can spare a little more for something this important. Um, yeah, it should be on the table. I don't think it's the first resort, but it should be on the table. This place can't burn down. Thank you. Ms. Manette? Yeah, people really don't like taxes or raising things. I, um, my first year on council, um, we have a town with parking meters that were 25 cents, and they were raising them to 50 cents. And I went, wow, can we just add one more quarter, and that extra quarter goes to fire? And you thought I would have killed Nevada City. And that wasn't taxing everybody. That was only taxing the people who were parking in Nevada City. And it didn't pass. You know, we do have 50 cents. I'd like to bring that back. I'd like to find creative ways of raising money to fight this problem. Um, it, you know, it could go on our property taxes. But again, I agree with Adam. We need to talk as a community to make these decisions. This is not... As a council member, it's not me up here deciding. I heard what people said about the parking meters. I was like, okay, we're not going to do that. Um, 
So it's really a conversation on how, if we're going to be a full-service city, how we do that. Thank you. I think we get another question from Pascal at this point. Sure. This goes to Lou first. So as a, as a council member, of course, you are not fortunately or unfortunately elected queen or king for a day. So you actually have to work with your fellow council members to get to the three or four votes necessary for for votes. So if if you but if you could have this one joker, what is the project that you would want to implement with just your vote? What is the top priority? What project is it that you would want for Nevada City and the other four council people? Well, they just have to go, go along with you because you will have this joker. I am no ways a king, let alone a queen, or a very good one. Um, but if there is a project that I would like to see funded, and if it would just be my say, say so, it would be water security. Um, fire is an ex existential threat, but we don't burn down every year. We do, however, run out of water every year. The city needs about 900 acre feet of water a year. We can get about 400 of that guaranteed because we have the water rights to Little Deer Creek. But that's less than half. The rest we have to buy from NID. And our current contract, although it, it does say that they have to serve us because they're the, we are their customers, each year we have to negotiate how much more water it will be and how much it would cost. So my one wish actually I'm going to break it into two, is that we have a permanent contract with permanent prices and, perma and, and fixed amounts of water that are guaranteed with NID. And the other thing that I'd love is I'd love to see our reservoir capacity increased. We run out of water because we get most of the water like today when we need it the least. When we need it the most in the summer, the reservoir is dry. So I think we should build additional storage capacity. Mr. Klein, your priority for the... I'll piggyback on that one because water is important. I've just learned recently over the course of running that our city has wells on our land that haven't been used, a couple of which have a lot of potential for development. I would love, I would rubber stamp those being hooked up to the water system, ASAP, see what we can get. Most of the year, Little Deer Creek, we're fine. Towards the end of the summer, that's when NID comes into play, and it would be excellent to have some more sources of water to hold that off a little while longer. Um, that would be awesome. And I, I, I hope and I believe that's being looked at right now. So my rubber stamp, uh, I wish for infin infinite wishes, I guess. Is that? <laughs> Thank you. Ms. Manette. Okay, so you guys go for that, and I'm going to go to the fire, okay? <laughs> because I agree, and I just found out about these wells. It's like, why didn't we know about this, you know? Um, it's great that City Hall is changing right now, and things are coming up, and we're growing, and I'm really excited about that. Um, but for me, fire is a huge issue, and people getting their yards cleaned up, and finding a way of helping people who can't get their yard cleaned up. And we have a lot of retirees who literally are ignoring what's around them. And 
you know, once that fire starts, it's going to spread. And we have out-of-town owners who aren't taking care of their properties. And just a number of issues. Um, the Fire Advisory Committee just put together a new vegetation ordinance. Our new city manager is now inspecting every property in Nevada City. This has never happened before. We have been a city that waits for something to happen, then we address it. I want to be a city that attacks it before it happens. And I feel like that is actually starting to happen. Thank you. Mr. Murder. As a former retail manager and restaurant owner, I'm going to throw my hat to the downtown businesses. We need to strengthen them post-COVID. Um, every time, it, it just saddens me every time I walk down and I see, wow, this one's gone out of business. There's another one. It's just crazy, the, the revolving door of all these businesses coming and going. That needs to stop. If you've ever watched, I mean, I don't watch a lot of TV, so, but I watch New Amsterdam. And if you remember what the medical director says, he says, how can I help? What I would do is I'd pound the pavement. I'd go into every business in Nevada City and I'd say, how can I help? Because we have to figure out a way to keep them solid, to keep them strong. Because that's what people see when they come into our community. We don't want to see empty alpha buildings. We don't want to see that Mexican restaurant on Broad Street that's been sitting there and nobody's doing anything with it. If I had the money, I would open up something myself. Um, we need to do something. We can't have these buildings just sitting there. This is what tourists, when they come in and they see this, they go, why isn't that taken? Or here's a restaurant that just closed. Why aren't they making it? This is a reflection on us as a community. I'll tell you, as a city council member, I'm going to work my you-know-what off to make sure that they are strong. Thank you. <clears throat> so I guess we get uh, Chris Gilbert from KNCO with another question. And this goes first to Mr. Klein. Uh, I was going to ask, how important do you think undergrounding utility lines is in protecting the city from wildfires? Uh, is it realistic? financially, or is there something the city could do to influence it? I love that idea. And whenever there's an idea I love in this town, but I'm not quite sure how to make that happen, I talk to Bill Falcone. I am like most people in this town in that way. And he told me there's places where that makes sense and places where it doesn't. So I would push for undergrounding utilities, disaster-proofing as best we can everywhere that makes sense, and then looking for other options elsewhere. Uh, losing power for over a week wasn't great. My sweetheart's from out of town. She's only lived in big cities, and she was confused why the whole town agreed to just go camping for a week. Um, we, it, it, it was bizarre to her, and we're kind of used to it here. And if you were here in the 90s, you remember that snowstorm where... That was even heavier. Um, these things are going to keep happening. So preparing, being ready ahead of time, and mitigating any damage, that's the way to go. Um, so yeah, I'm in favor where it makes sense. Thanks. Thank you. Ms. Manette? Boy, I, you know, they're just, they're undergrounding up um, East Broad Street right now. Um, but look what that took. I mean, I think it was Sally Harris who started that process 10 years ago, and we're just getting it done. I noticed that the, in the county, their uh, banner, their undergrounding, 
it's it, it's expensive. I mean, personally, I think PG&E should put everything underground and they should pay for it. That's what I think, but actually getting that to happen. Um, well, look what we've had to go through, even with um, fire issues and PSPS. You know, we had to push, work with the county, Nevada City worked with the county because Grass Valley get, would get turned on and Nevada City stayed in the dark that first year. And out of a lot of work and talk, we literally got trees cut down so we could plug in and the Seven Hills District and downtown Broad Street could get turned on in that situation. So it's this is a huge issue and it's gonna protect us against, it comes back to fire again. Mr. Murdoch. Underground utilities, yes, very, very important. But like you said, Aaron, yeah, where do you come up with the money? Do you make PG&E &E pay for it? Um, good luck on that phone call. Um, we need to do whatever's necessary. Yes, you, you lost power, you mentioned Adam. Our, my water in my house turned yellow, brown. I mean, it was interesting for a couple, I mean, I called the city and the city goes, it, it'll clear up, Ken, don't worry. And it did, but it was a little scary at first. So um, thank God I had filtered water in my fridge. But, um, but you know, it's, it's a tough issue. Um, we have to find, we have to work with the utility company on this and figure out a way to make this possible. Um, obviously, every area in Nevada City, we can't do that. It's just not, it's, it would be prohibitively too expensive. Um, but we have to do the areas, start with, start small first, and then, you know, reach out and do what we can. We have to safeguard our community. Um, I know, because up in Cascade Shores, a power line fell across, I mean, a tree fell across the power line and landed on the ground. And the wire, I just walked right by the wire. It was scary. We certainly don't want that to happen right here in Nevada City. Um, so we have to figure out ways to be able to, to mitigate those kinds of issues. Um, safety, key number one. Thank you. Mr. Cece. Undergrounding is certainly one solution, but of course, as uh, you mentioned, Adam, it's not a one-size-fits-all. Um, we can do, in addition to undergrounding some lines, we can harden some lines so that they are more resistant to power and to sudden surges uh, due to down power lines or blown transformers. We have a number of single points of failure in the power supply in this town. We need to protect them. During our snowmageddon that we had in December, which my sister from Wisconsin came out here especially to experience because they don't get enough snow in Wisconsin. Uh, well, a, a tree fell across the power line that, um, that is just at the end of the South Pine Bridge, and that wiped out a lot of power, my neighborhood and downtown. We need to identify those single points of failure and either harden them or underground them because we can't go through that again. Plus, when the power does go out, it puts our citizens at risk. We need some kind of mutual support network to find out who needs power because of their medication or because they'll freeze to death without it and how to get that power to them, either supply them with generators or find out how we can uh, move them into a warm shelter. Thank you. Now we have a question from the audience which goes first to Ms. Minette. <clears throat> what are your thoughts on how well or poorly the following incidents were handled? the violence at the BLM demonstration in 2020 and the election office confrontation earlier this year include police and security involvement or lack thereof and the legal follow-up. So the first one. 
So the first one was Nevada City. What was the second one? The confrontation at the elections office. So here in the county. That's in okay. the county. Um, well, in Nevada City, um, what happened on August 9th was horrible. I have never, I have lived here for 30 years, and Nevada City has had protest after protest. We have never, ever had something like that happen. And it was a shock. Um, could our police force have done better? Probably. Were they prepared for that? No. Um, were they trained for it? No. Um, they were really caught off guard. There wasn't, the backup was slow. Um, one of the things, you know, everything's always greener on the other side. You know, everything that has happened in Nevada City since that day, you know, if we're closing down the street or somebody wants to have a, you know, uh, some kind of protest, we have overstaffed, we have brought people in, nothing's happened since then, but we're much better prepared now. And I can't answer the second part because my time's up. Thank you. If we had a crystal ball, yes, it would be nice to be able to solve these problems. How do we know when people are going to be acting just ridiculously? And um, I was saddened, you know, to see that, to see the film. I don't know how many people actually watched the film, but it was pretty horrifying to me just to watch, to see how people behaved. Um, scary. I mean, I dealt with, I mean, as a teacher, we, we see a lot of students who get angry and they throw things and they hurt. Um, but you know, it, it, it takes a lot to be able, I mean, how do you solve these kind of issues? Yes, as a teacher, I did a lot of training constantly. We had our weekly meetings. We had trainings all the time. I mean, that's, you have to. So maybe, I don't know, saying the police need to improve police training possibly. We gotta make sure it's in our budget. And we need mental health counselors. What happened out there in Alta Sierra with that, with that mother still hurts me today just to think about that. You know, those things shouldn't be happening. Something else should have happened, taken place. Maybe a little more training would have, take, would have helped in that regard. It, we, legal issues, I don't know. I don't know the answer for that. I'm not a lawyer, but I'll tell you once again, I'll, I'll do whatever is necessary to figure out what that needs to be done to make sure people are held accountable for their behavior because nobody, we all have the right of free speech, but not when it endangers other people's lives. Thank you. Mr. Sisi. The biggest threat to bigotry is visible diversity. And this town celebrates diversity. I mean, we have, we have Mardi Gras, we, have, we celebrate Chinese New Year, we have protests and, and meetings uh, fairly often, publicly, spontaneously. We have an active and thriving arts culture. We have, uh, we're very diverse religiously, from Eastern meditation and mysticism to traditional Christian faiths and a growing Jewish community. But the biggest threat to democracy is not the extremists on the right and the left. It's the people who don't want democracy to work at all. They either throw up their hands and say, oh, everything's corrupt, I don't even vote, or they actually actively try to disrupt it. And the way to counter that is to get involved in democracy itself. That's what we are doing up here, the four of us. We're running for office because we don't want to leave it to someone else. We want to get to be actively involved. A city that visibly and publicly supports diversity speaks louder than any yelling bigot.
Thank you. Mr. Klein. In terms of the police response, I'm excited to see what happens with the hiring of a new permanent police chief. I think issues like this are going to be in the forefront of that new hire's mind. If this, God forbid, happens again, the police response will need to be stronger than it was. In terms of the actions on August 9th, I think we saw a peaceful protest saying something true, Black Lives Matter, met by, I'm going to be as polite as possible, a bunch of dopes who were failed by their upbringing and media diet to think that violence was called for here uh, when they could have just stayed home. Uh, there's no place for that here. We need to be clearer about that so they know they're not welcome here. Um, this city should celebrate diversity and this city has a diversity problem. <laughs> um, yeah, I think everyone knows what I'm talking about there. We need to work on that and be as welcoming as possible, not to violent lunatics. And um, again, I hope the incoming police chief knows what the task at hand entails. And as for the actions at the county office, that broke my heart too. That's not how you, that's not how you act in a democratic society. You vote. Thanks. Thank you. <clears throat> so, Pascal, do you have another question? That was silly, right? <sighs> okay, fine. Um, so going back to the teamwork that you as council members will, will have to accomplish, um, do you actually, right now, the council member positions are 100% volunteers, so you are, you are not paid politicians, you are volunteers for your community. So take that and talk a little bit about your ideas, how you can take your commitment to Nevada City and translate that and amplify it with what would be your committees or groups that you would like to have that to support the city of Nevada City or do you just want to focus on having the city fully staffed and not go with volunteers? So do you want volunteers and if yes, which ones, what groups or a professional only city? That goes to Mr. Merdinger first. I think communication is important here. I think we have to get the people of Nevada City involved. Um, we need to go, I mean, if it takes me to go from door to door to get people involved, um, get the word out that people, we need everybody because a city can't, city council, we can't do everything. I mean, we're, we're, we're like where you funnel questions and concerns to, but we need your help. We need the public. I mean, you have to be part of the political process, and you are. The people who came tonight, thank you for coming, because you make a huge difference. But we need more people to get involved. And by getting more people involved, we can get committees, um, ground roots, start town, town hall meetings, whatever, at a house, in a garage. Hey, come to my garage. I mean, let's get together. Let's get people talking. The more we get communicating, the more we can help solve the problems of Nevada City. Thank you. Mr. Cece. 
I think a professional city staff is a, a wonderful requirement, and I'm very happy with our, our, our new city manager in leading us in that direction. Uh, I am, I'm personally glad that the city council is not paid because from what I hear from the council members I've talked to, Aaron and Doug and Daniela, you can pay them for the amount of work that they do. It's just tremendous. Um, but we also need cooperation with our local um, nonprofits and um, volunteer organizations. An example of a problem that's probably too big for the city to solve itself is homelessness. But if we partner with uh, operations like Nevada County Home Path, which proposes to provide a secure and safe um, camping grounds for the homeless and guidance on how to move them out of poverty and out of homelessness into secure and safe surroundings, um, I think that's what we need. We do need to have an approach to this problem and the city and its volunteers and the nonprofits in the local community need to all work together. Thank you. Mr. Klein. As a full service city of this size, we're a little bit of a miracle. Uh, I think the city staff does an admirable job with what they have to work with. And um, I think at the same time, volunteerism is a huge help. Having attended a Firewise meeting and just listening to those folks who have made this their passion I wish they weren't necessary, but I think they absolutely are. And until such time as the city is able to handle those problems without volunteerism, I think they should be encouraged and supported however we can. For non-selfish reasons, I like the idea of the city council no longer being an unpaid job. I promise it's a non-selfish reason. I'd like to see a single mom on the city council, and that's hard to do if they're going to be looking to get a babysitter so they can attend meetings. Um, I think our city council has often skewed towards retirement age people, which is an important part of our community, but that's not all of our community. And for younger working people, I think time is pretty valuable, and paying a small stipend to the council would be Great, and maybe giving other people access to serve. Thanks. Thank you. Ms. Burnett. Nevada City is volunteerism. I, you know, ever since I've lived here, I have been a volunteer in the city, you know, um, for different, so many different things that happen in the city, and it is part of what I love about Nevada City. But at the same time, we absolutely need to have a full staff. Um, public works, I would like to see up to capacity of everybody we need so things get done. Um, I have worked with the, um, the league who does a lot of workshops and people always go, how do you guys do it? On, you know, you're so small. How do you run a full service city? And we do, and it's amazing that we do. Um, and I'm really proud of that. Um, so, but I want both. I want to keep the volunteerism. I want to keep us working as a city and paying our employees. Um, and where council is concerned, that was when I first came on, my biggest issue was getting younger people on council. And that is starting to happen. So if it takes paying them, I am all for it. And you can work full time. I'm an example of that and be on council. Thank you. 
And it's now time for closing statements. After almost an hour and a half of doing a brilliant job focusing on these individual issues, you get a chance to close with your best foot forward. And to try and balance this as much as we can, we'll go in the reverse order that we did in the opening. So it'll be Mr. Klein, then Mr. Cece, then Ken and Aaron. Two minutes. I want to thank the League of Women Voters again for having us and everyone here and watching at home. Thank you for being a part of it. Um, lived here 42 years in the area and I've seen it strong and I've seen it struggling. And I think we're at our best when we're a community that celebrates our arts. We used to make national news. We've made national news for our artists, our songwriters. It was exciting hearing from friends on the East Coast like, oh, I saw one of your friends in the New York Times for making something beautiful. And lately, it seems like we're making national news for political strife. Let's make music again. Let's make art. Let's make sure artists can afford to live here. Let's have the most beautiful downtown we can. Um, these are the things that are important to me. I love this place, grew up here, stayed here, will stay here. I'm invested. I love it. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Lucisi. I want to make this city work for its citizens. And how? By making the council a bit more proactive. We must insist that affordable housing projects remain affordable. Affordable by design just doesn't cut it. We must negotiate with the NID for a long-term contract that secures our access to water, and we need to diversify our sources of water. And we must have a community wildfire protection plan. We have to be practical about our limitations. Nevada City can't be all things to all people, but it can be excellent at what it is. A council member does not represent just a political party or demographic or special interest group. A council member represents the whole town, young, old, renters, homeowners, the well-off, and the struggling. As I campaign from door to door, I noticed the full spectrum of people that live here. It's not, it's not just the, the rich and the, and the white and the retired. It's everyone. It's a quite diverse community. And I come across people who say, thank you for running. Now, they're not thanking me personally, but they're thanking, they're, they're relieved at the notion that someone, anyone, is interested in local government. I'm running because I believe democracy works when people work at it. That's why I'm running, and that's why these folks are running here, too. And these forums, and your attendance here to listen to us and understand what your candidates are for, and both the people here and the people watching on video, you are why we are running. I'm glad you took the time to understand the candidates, and it would be an honor to serve you, and a pleasure to work with people like these who are as committed and passionate about our town as I am. Thank you. Adam, I want more music too. And you know what, I'm, I'm a lucky guy because I've been married to my wife for 43 years and she's a professional musician so I get it every night. And maybe the two of you ought to get together because I think it would be fantastic. <laughs> to, maybe you can join. We have a Celtic group, we have music groups that come to our house and uh, you're welcome to come. I'd like to thank the committee for 
community for taking the time to attend this forum tonight. As you've heard from the other candidates and myself, there are a lot of issues that our community needs to deal with. And now that I'm retired, I have the time to focus on them. Can the City Council solve all these problems by themselves? No. It's going to take a whole community like you working together. As a former teacher, I not only have the experience in educating the public, but dealing with the adversity that comes with that challenge. Thank you for getting involved in the political process. And remember to vote on June 7th so that the best candidates can lead Nevada City forward. Oh, I'm last. <laughs> um, first of all, I want to thank the League for hosting um, this event tonight and for your uh, mission for informing voters. You're wonderful. Thank you, all of you. Um, as the only incumbent in this race, I bring very important experience and knowledge of where we've been and why things are the way they are and what we needs to be done. Nevada City has gone through so many changes in the last couple of years, and I am honored to work with the city council I've been working with. They've been wonderful. We work well together, and I hope that continues. Um, we have to keep working on fire safety. We have to make sure that we will have enough water. I want to see our storefronts fill with great small businesses, new entry-level housing, Seven Hills thriving, small, smart growth that maintains our historic charm but lets us meet the, the needs of today and the future. Um, Nevada, Nevada City is more than its past. It's people, it's family, it's businesses, it's the present and the future. Thank you for your support, and yeah, please vote early. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, let's give a hand to these candidates who have given you their all. On behalf of the League, thanks for attending, thanks for watching, and... Uh...